Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I read a story uh, this past week uh, about a mom of a four-year-old who was about to turn five. So this was on the eve of his fifth birthday. And his mom was talking to him about what this means. And, you know, she said to the little boy's name was Kevin. She said, Kevin, you understand what this thing is where you go from one year to the next and how you've been four years old. And Kevin right immediately put up four fingers. He said, yes, mommy. And he held up his four fingers. He'd been showing everybody all year long that he was this many. You know, he was, he was four years old. And so um, she asked him, now, you know, tonight when you go to sleep, you're going to be four. But when you wake up tomorrow morning, what's going to happen? Well, Kevin was waiting, man. He was waiting to pop that thumb up. So he, he popped that thumb up. And his mama asked him, she said, Kevin, do you know what that, what that means, what you're going to be tomorrow? And he looked at his hand and he said, yes, mommy, it means I'm going to be a handful. We want to celebrate and give thanks to God for you moms who have ever felt like you had your hands full. I I know that my own mom did many days uh, bringing me up. And we want you to know that we thank God for you. And and God in his his marvelous plan uh, for life in his good and beautiful kingdom, God created and instituted motherhood. And there are so many wonderful messages in God's word about mamas and about the role they play and the partnership they have with God. And so I want us to look today at what the Bible says about about moms. And I pray this is going to be a blessing to you. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, this is going to be kind of our, our anchor verse. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but if you, if you want to look, you can. In Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 27, now God has, God has been creating. This is day 6 of the created order, and God has come to the place where he has said, we are going, and things have been good. Things have been good every day of his creation. And then God, God comes together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there at creation. God, our triune God. And, and God said, let us make humankind in our own image. That's what God said. And in verse 27, it says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Masculinity and femininity, both to express the whole glory of God, the beautiful image of God. God decided that women and moms in a particularly special way would get to bear God's image to a waiting and watching world. And that's, that's what I want us to focus on today is that feminine aspect of the characteristics of God that he said would only be uniquely expressed through that unique gender. God created this in his order. And so this means all of the the kindness and compassion and warmth and tenderness and and patience and and, and, and comfort uh, that get attributed to the qualities of femininity and motherhood, they are directly reflections of the heart of God, which means, ladies, motherhood is a divinely sacred thing because it helps us 
know the truth about God and what we believe about God impacts every part of our lives, shaping every aspect of who, who we become, whether consciously or unconsciously. The mental pictures that we have of God influence our entire lives. Our assessments about God's character, you know, even if, if they're false, they form the foundations of our lives. It, it, it goes into how we end up relating to God. Some of you remember, I love this quote by A.W. Tozer that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a, that's a most important thing. And one of the things that God has given to moms is this unique capacity to reflect certain aspects of the characteristics and image of God. You're created unique to be able to do that. Moms, you so often reflect the very heart of God to us and for us as you bear his image. And so in the New Testament, uh, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church about this great image, he writes these words in Colossians 3. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Part of the way that you're going to put on the, the, everything, the, the grace of God, your salvation even, the way you're going to wear it well is if you're being renewed in the knowledge of the image that you bear. See, moms, you, you bear that part of God that he uniquely designed for you that no one else can do. No man on the planet can do it. It's, it's an honor for, from God for you, and I pray you would wear it that way and that you would be as a reflection of God's image, a woman, a mom who is literally after God's own heart, reflecting the heart of God. And, and we want to honor you for that reason. Not because you're perfect. There's no perfect mom that's ever graced this planet. But because you have a high and a very holy calling from God that tells us we need to honor our moms. Uh, of the top ten commands that God gave, the only one on that list that holds a promise for health in this life and our welfare in this life is how we honor our parents, including how we honor our moms. Deuteronomy 5.16 says this, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long and full life in the land the Lord God is giving you. See, Jesus spoke of that, that verse many times during his teaching ministry. The Apostle Paul, who persecuted Christians, literally persecuted them to death, uh, eventually came to saving knowledge of Jesus. And he wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, honor your father and mother. It's the first command with a promise, so that it might be well with you. Now, Joe's personal opinion, one of the reasons that so many things in this life are not going well for so many people is because they have refused to honor their parents refuse to honor their mother in the way that God has called them to. Now, please hear me say this. If you had less than a perfect mom, if you had a mom who was not a godly mom, if you had a mom who in many ways may have brought harm into your life, you do not have to be a doormat for her. You do not have to be given into the struggles that she might have, but you need to honor her because God chose her and put her in your life 
and he created you in partnership with her. And so we need to honor moms if for no other reason than, than for, for that reason because God loves her. She bears his image. We're called to honor her. But so many of you moms are moms after God's own heart. And so on this Mother's Day, I, I want to honor you in some several special ways. One of the ways I want to honor you today is because I know something unique about godly moms. Uh, people who do these kinds of studies tell us that the third largest attended Sunday services take place on Mother's Day. They're third only to Christmas and Easter. And here's why. Because so often godly moms, when asked, what do you want for Mother's Day? They don't really ask for to sleep in late. They ask, I want you to come to church with me. And they do that. They ask their kids to come to church with them to, as a way to honor them because they want their kids exposed to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus over and over again. Now, today, uh, again, people who study these things tell us that most people in our nation will not attend a church service. But they also tell us most people in our nation are at least vaguely familiar with the passage of Scripture spoken by the Lord Jesus himself, the verse John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him might have eternal life. Some translations say everlasting life. Now, while most of the nation will know that verse, many don't know the verse that follows it that for our generation may be even more important to know or at least as important to know. And it's verses 17 and 18. And they go this way. And Jesus spoke these words. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. See, God did not send Jesus to condemn you. He didn't do that. The Apostle Paul, again, picks up on this, uh, this guy who persecuted believers. He would later be inspired to write these words in Romans chapter 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And I want you to hear that today, and here's why. If you're here today and you're here because, you know, you kind of got drugged by your mama and she promised you the meal afterwards or something like that, um, I, I want you to hear the gospel because I, I, don't, I don't want to go throughout all eternity having a mama chase me down and say, I got him to church and you didn't tell him about Jesus. Well, I'm telling you about Jesus because Jesus loves you and, and Jesus died for you and he did not come to condemn you. And I'm going to stand here today, I want to apologize to you. If you have ever been a part of a church, if you've ever been under the teaching of a pastor who taught you, you left that service believing that you were being condemned by God, that is a lie. It is not the truth. It's the voice of the accuser. And I want to apologize on behalf of churches everywhere because that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus himself said he didn't come for that reason. He came to give you life, abundant life, real life. You know, so many people think, you know, it's about some kind of, you know, religion or something. 
friends, it's about a relationship. Jesus said whoever would put their trust in him, meaning that you would say, I've tried doing life my own way, and Jesus, I'm going to do it your way. If you would put your trust in him, you could be saved. You could experience the, the love of God poured over you, that you would not ever experience a moment of condemnation from God. Friends, that's not religion. That's about relationship. Now, having been a pastor for the many years that I have, I've been in relationships with a lot of what some people might call, you know, religious people. And some of those people are very, very devout in their faith and their love for Jesus. And some not so much. It's just the truth. There are some who are very real and genuine, and what you see in public is what happens in private. And then there are some who are not, some who are filled with hypocrisy. There are some who are filled with grace and, and, and mercy and love, and others who have been filled with a spirit of judgmentalism and, and legalism in their hearts. And it sometimes... Sometimes out there in the world, I've heard this, it looks like so often churches or Pharisee factories just cranking out people who spew judgment and condemnation. Friends, that is not Jesus. That's not Jesus, so forgive us where we have failed Jesus because he taught it's not about religion but about relationship with God the Father. And it's not anything you can work to achieve. In Ephesians chapter 2, God's Word tells us that... uh, the gift of salvation is by grace alone. It's not of works in any way so that nobody can vote. It only comes through faith. That's, that's God's plan for you. That's what Jesus wants you to know about God, that that's the God of the Bible. And as a father who loves and desires everyone to come to know him, that's the God that Jesus came to present, this good and beautiful God. He has this good and beautiful vision for for everyone. So you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, and you read these words. The apostle John was given a vision, and it says in verse 3, he said, I heard a loud shout from the throne of God saying, look, the home of God is now among men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. Yes, God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Can you imagine God doing that? Just taking this God finger, wiping tears from your face. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All of that will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Does that passage of Scripture sound like a God of condemnation? it's not. God doesn't want to see anybody condemned. God doesn't want to see anybody separated from him, suffering for all eternity. God wants to include everyone. And so if you're here today, God wants you to be with him forever. And you can do that if you will just put your trust in him. Turn from thinking that you can make life happen and put your trust in Jesus alone to give you new life, like Caleb did, and testified to that through his baptism this morning. And I want to pause for a moment, and I want to pray, because I don't know everybody who's here today. I don't know your story. I don't know if you've given your life to God. I know many of you, 
And I know like me, from time to time, I need to be reminded that my God is not a God of condemnation. He's a God of life and of salvation. And I need to be reminded of that because the world and my flesh and Satan accuse me of that all the time. And maybe you need to rededicate your mind and heart today to that truth. And a great day to do that some Mother's Day. Let's pray. Right now, I just come in Jesus' name. I come giving thanks for the gospel message that Jesus did not come to condemn, but to give us life eternal in him. I thank you, God, that we don't have to work to be good enough, that Jesus was good enough. And so I pray for everyone in this room, maybe for the very first time, someone heard the truth about you, God, that you were not a God of condemnation, that you're a God of life, that you invite people out of condemnation and into your marvelous light. And so I pray right now in this moment, if you're here today and you've realized that God doesn't want to condemn you but love you, maybe for the very first time you're hearing those words and it's touched your heart, you can pray right where you're at, dear God, I want that. I want, I want you, the God of the Bible, who doesn't want to condemn me but wants to give me life. God, I want life in you. I repent of thinking I can figure it out. I put my trust in you right now. You just tell God that. Just in the silence of your heart, you tell him that in your mind. God, I put my trust in you. And the Bible says you'll be saved. And we'll want to celebrate that with your baptism one day. But for, for today, know that you're no longer condemned by God. Most of us here today just need to renew the, our thinking on that, and we need to remind ourselves and each other that, God, you're our Father, and that in you there is no condemnation whatsoever. And we praise your name for that in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we give these words thanks. Amen. Now, in the time we have left, I want to continue to honor moms. Mom, I, I want to make sure the gospel was heard today. So you keep, you keep praying. God's plant seeds in the hearts of people. You keep praying that God will water them and that God will give opportunity for those seeds to germinate into kingdom life. Now, we talked at the beginning about Genesis 1, verse 27, and how God has given a unique aspect of his life to women and especially moms to bear his image. And so in the time that we have left, I want to I wanna talk about a few ways that God puts that on display, that, that masculinity and femininity, uh, that, that femininity that only moms can, can display uh, for us and help us see the image of God in some creative ways. So first of all, one of the ways that I see this is moms show us something about God's heart to comfort God is the God of all comfort, the Bible tells us. And one of the significant roles that God has given to moms is the ability to comfort. This comes straight out of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 66, God describing himself, and he says this, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted. This kind of comforting nature is, really shows up in, in the nurturing that moms do for children. Nurturing, nurturing can often involve a word of encouragement. We get nurtured from moms that way. 
but it can also, nurture can show up in the word, uh, a word of challenge. One of the ways my mom spent a lot of time comforting me through my teenage years were with very challenging words. Sometimes mamas have to use those challenging words to comfort us and, and nurture us, to bring us back in line. And, and friends, when, when moms, when, when nurturing is done in a godly manner, it will help a child to grow up in a healthy manner, uh, it, it just it, in a full way. Second thing that I see from Scripture that moms do, moms show us something of God's heart to give life-giving care. Perhaps uh, one of the reasons moms are so great at nurture is because they carried that child with them in their bodies for nearly nine months. It's a part of them. They, 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 so they just naturally are more nurturing in many ways than, than most of us dads are. You know, God created women, moms, to be actually able to be carriers of life that he wants to give. In Psalm 139, we read these incredible words about God. David speaks these words. You created me in my inmost being, God. You did that. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's this unique creative partnership between a mom and God. It doesn't happen to, you know, for us men. It only happens between God and a mother because mothers carried our lives, helped us come to life. Moms are partners with God in that unique way, and it's a glorious partnership that only a mom will ever truly get to experience. Moms literally bring new life into the world. They do this new life. They, and not only that, they're, they're also like God in this. Moms often breathe new life into broken hearts. They, they prop us up. They, they pick us up when we're down. They breathe new life into Sorrows, they breathe new life into to our, our broken dreams at times. They, they cheer us on. And it's one of the clearest ways that God shows his heart is through the heart of a godly mom. Third that I see in Scripture uh, that displays the heart of God through moms. Moms show us something of God's heart of protective love, uh, of protective love. Now, the Psalms are filled with these images of God providing protection for his people. And one of the images that reoccurs throughout the Psalms is this idea of God being like a mother hen, putting out his wings, his feathers, and, and allowing the little ones to kind of come under the protection of the feathers. It's not going to come up on the screen, but Psalm 91 is famous for this. Verse 4, it says that God will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. He will protect you and, and defend you. See, that protective nature is part of, of motherhood. I mean, it, it doesn't just show up in, in human beings. It shows up in, in the animal kingdom, and not only chickens. Um, there's a reason why so often you hear about um, a, a, a mama getting her claws out like a mama bear. Uh, I don't know whether you, any of you have ever experienced that, but if you mess with a mama's kids... Mama bear is going to show up in a moment. Proverbs 7 speaks about this, about a mama bear being robbed of her cubs. And down in uh, Hosea chapter 13, verse 8, God is trying to describe how 
fiercely he is going to defend his people against the attacks of enemies. And this is the image that he chose to use to talk about his fierceness. Hosea chapter 13 verse 8. God says, I will fall on them like a bear robbed of her cups. Like a mama bear. I will tear open their breasts and I will devour them. Don't mess with a mama's babies. They will come after you in a fierce way. God displayed something about his protective desire and used the imagery of, of mamas. He, he, he did that. See, all those mama bear moments, ladies, that some of you have had where you're fiercely and sacrificially fighting for the bodies and souls of your kid, they show us something of Jesus. Jesus did that on the cross. He, he sacrificially and fiercely battled sin, and he battled death on the cross, and he battled death in that borrowed tomb so that we could have life because Jesus wanted to protect us. And a mother's heart reflects the heart of God in that way. Another thing that Scripture points out, that, that God displays who he is through moms. Moms show us something of God's heart of faithful devotion. God's heart of faithful devotion through mamas. You know, we said earlier that mothers reveal something of God when they give us life, giving, you know, a mom that special, incomprehensible bond uh, of faithfulness to her kids. And God points out that kind of faithfulness in, in his word about himself, and he compares it to a mama, to, to mothers. Listen to this out of Isaiah 49. The Lord answers, can a woman forget the baby she nurses? Can she feel no kindness for the child to which she gave birth? And, and friends, that's kind of a rhetorical question. It is kind of supplied in there. The answer is, duh, no. Okay? It's not in the Scriptures. It's not written that way. But trust me, it's in there. That's, that's what the intent of those questions were. But God, just, God goes on to say, but if that could even happen, even, he says it, even if she could Forget her children, I will not forget you. See, God uses this incredible bond that everybody knows exists between a mom and her children to illustrate how the depth of the bond of love that he has, the faithfulness, devotion that God has for his children. It's even stronger, he says, than a mother's natural bond with her child. God goes on in, in Hebrews chapter 13 to say, I will never, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And as difficult as it is to comprehend, though we know it's happened, but as difficult as it is to comprehend that a mother might lose that natural affection for her child, God says, that can't happen with me. It can never happen with me. It'll never be broken. See, the Bible says that God cradles us in the palm uh, of his hand, that nothing can separate us from him because it's his power. Next thing that mamas show us of something of God's heart is the heart to sanctify us. Moms have this unique ability and unique opportunity to, to shape the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view our world, and the way, most importantly, that we see God. In Deuteronomy chapter 
chapter 6, where we read these words. God said, these words that I've commanded you, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, write them on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moms, when we see you reading your Bible, when we see you here at church, passionately worshiping the Lord, or maybe privately at home worshiping God, when we see you turn your hearts to God in prayer when facing a crisis, when we see you praising God when something good happens and even praising God when a challenge occurs. Moms, when you, when you sin and then model repentance and confession, and oh moms, when you forgive us when we don't deserve it, you model Jesus for us. You show us, you show us the very heart of God and you shape our minds and you shape our souls and our, you shape our views of God. It's a process of us being formed into the image of Jesus. The Bible calls that sanctification. And you don't, ladies, you don't have to have a PhD in theology to do this. I don't know how many of you are familiar with a man by the name of Dr. Ben Carson. Um, Dr. Ben Carson is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, loves the Lord. Um, he's a uh, unbelievably skilled surgeon, written many books and journals uh, on surgery. He's the former um, United States uh, Secretary for Housing and Urban Development. He ran for president. Some of you may remember this um, uh, in the primaries back in 2016. He tells this incredible story about his mama that she would, uh, especially during the summer months when they weren't in school, she would make him and his brother read a book and write a book report on it. And they would be very diligent in it because they knew their mama was going to be checking every word behind them. So they worked really hard to do the best job they can on these books. By the time he got into middle school, junior high school, Ben Carson made an amazing discovery. And it was his mom was illiterate. She could not read. And so they had been working diligently, but, you know, they never figured out that their, their, their mom couldn't read. Now consider this. This mama who, who battled this deficit of illiteracy raised this man and his brother, both of them are very famous, raised these two godly men in incredible ways to learn beyond even what most of us could. And it was done because she took what she had, not what she didn't have. She didn't, she didn't spend all of her time looking at what she didn't have. She took what she had, and she worked with it to bless her kids. She poured out on them. Proverbs 1, verse 8 tells us this. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adore your neck. When your mom provides teaching for you, moms, when you do this, you are blessing us. And we need to receive it. We need to honor you in such a way that we receive it. Don't forsake don't forsake your mom's teaching. It can be life-giving. Which brings me to the next thing. Moms, you show us something of God's heart to give us abundant life. You do that when you, when you encourage us to take that step 
maybe out of the nest a, a, a little bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, we read these words about God. It says, He spreads His wings over them, even as an eagle overspreads her young. She carries them upon her wings, as does the Lord his people. Now, I did a little more digging on this, and I, I, I'd heard about this before. I'd never really studied it. But one of the interesting things about a mama eagle is when she comes to the place where she knows it's time for the baby eagle to leave its nest, what she will do is she will perch herself on the edge of her nest, and she will flap her wings so violently that they may get pushed out or at least jump out to try to get away from her. And when they do that, they begin flying for the very first time. And she will then swoop down and fly with them just in case one of them doesn't quite figure it out perfectly. And if she has to, before they hit the ground, she will swoop under them and catch them in her wings and take them back to the nest and do it all over again until they learn to fly. Moms, one of the greatest challenges that you may often have is helping your kids out of the nest. But it can be one of the most life-giving things that you do as a mama. Is helping your children grow in such a way that they, uh, are, they move from dependence on you to a life that is more lifted by interdependence. And God has gifted you and positions you in a unique way to help us have an abundant life by helping us know when it's time for us to spread our wings and fly. And mamas, you can do that. God's gifted you with that. And that's part of how you reflect the heart of God who wants his children to have abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief came to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have them more abundantly. Moms, when you, when you take that step, you show us a little bit about the heart of God. Another thing that you show us, Mom, is God's heart to draw us near, near to himself. This is one of the things that my wife Kathy taught me about God by the way that she loved for all of us to be together. She loved it when we went camping because we went tent camping, and that meant that we all slept in the same space. And she loved having all of her, all of her babies together. I, I was just kind of, you know... A side issue, but um, she had all her babies in the same room at the same time, and she, she just loved those moments. And I, I saw something of God wanting to draw his children close to himself. Jesus spoke these words as he was lamenting over his people. In Luke chapter 13, these words are recorded. Jesus said, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under his wings, but you were not willing? Are you willing to let God draw you near? See, God loves it. That, God loves it when his people come together. That's why the Bible tells us that when we gather, two or more gather in his name, that his presence is shown more powerfully than when we're by ourselves. God loves to gather his people together. He longs for us to be near. James chapter 4, verse 8, God's word tells us that if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. God loves gathering his people. Yeah, I mean, it started back in, in the book of Genesis. We see this. Even when, when trapped in their sin, in, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God went looking for them. The Bible tells us he went looking for them in the, in the cool of the day. They, hid, they tried to hide themselves from God. And God asked this question, where are you? Where are you? 
See, God wanting to draw them near to himself, even in the midst of their sin, he's, he's, he's longing to be in relationship with them. I think personally, my favorite, and I think probably the favorite of many people uh, who are followers of Jesus, of all the parables that Jesus told us, was the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. If you know that story, you know that this man had two sons. His youngest son decided that he would do probably the most disrespectful thing a a, a young man could do to his father, and that was go to his dad and ask for his inheritance before his dad had died. But this young man did it, and the Bible tells us he went to a foreign land. He squandered it all. He, He threw his life away. And then he had this thought, I'll go home and I'll at least work for my dad. His servants are living better than I am now that I'm destitute. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20 that while that son was a a long way off, he began walking home, and his father saw him while he was still far away, and his father had compassion on him. And his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was lost and now he's alive again or he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Do you know that's the heart of God for you? Mamas, you do such a great job of helping us know that we are celebrated in your sight. You you were showing us something of God's love for him, the heart of God himself. Just like a mom, the the Bible tells us that one of the ways you reflect his image best is when you pursue your children when we're walking away, trying to draw us near. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, just a wonderful verse in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It's not going to come up on the screen. You may want to write it down. Zephaniah 3, 17. But it tells us this, that God rejoices over you. Sometimes that word rejoices can be translated, he dances. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about God thinking about you and dancing. I love that thought, that God dances over you. I can't wait to get to heaven to see my God, my Father dance. I know some of you that are, you know, deeply entrenched Baptists may have a problem with that, but my God dances, just so you know. Uh, he, he, he wants to dance over you. He, he is delighted in you. I, I love that verse from, from Zephaniah. Moms, you've been given that great privilege. Great privilege to show us that, that heart of God that wants to dance over us. And we're so grateful for that. Now, we know you're not perfect. We, we, we know that. And I know some of you are trapped in this idea of guilt and shame because you're less than perfect. But God didn't expect perfection. He just expects obedience, that you would follow him. And I want to close by giving you three models, real quickly, three models from the Bible of of moms that I think, I'm hoping they will bless you. Now, I could have chosen, uh, you know, from from Paul's life, uh, his young protege, Timothy, his mama, was named Eunice, and his, her mom was named Lois. We could have talked about them. Uh, we, I don't want to do that. You know, I could have shared with you um, about uh, Mrs. Zebedee, 
the mama of James and John. Some of you will remember that, you know, she went to Jesus one day privately and uh, said, could, hey, when the whole heaven thing happens, could my boy sit next to you? You know, mamas do that. They try to get the best for their kids, you know. It's a pretty cool thing. And we could have talked about, you know, Mrs. Zebedee, but I don't, I don't want to point to her. I want to point to, to three other women in the Bible, three other mamas. The first one is, is Sarah. Um, Sarah was a mom who struggled with doubt. Now, the whole life story of Sarah is a really interesting one when you read through her life in the book of Genesis. It, it's clear she desired to, to have children, um, but she struggled with doubt. She struggled to fully trust God. Some of you know that uh, God came to Abraham and promised to bless he and Sarah, that he was going to actually bless the whole world by giving them a, a, a son. But at some point, doubt got the best of, of Sarah. It's not going to come up on the screen, but in Genesis chapter 16, it tells us these words in verses 1 and 2, that Sarah was Abraham's wife. She had bore him no children. Now, this was like 11 years after God had made the promise. But it goes on to say, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. And this was after God had promised he was going to give her children. God had kept me from having children. So you go in and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build my family through her. Now, some of you that know the story know that didn't work out so good, okay? When she didn't trust God to make it happen, it didn't turn out so well. Thirteen years later, after that moment, God comes back. And God's te God tells Abraham, a year from now, Sarah is going to give birth to a son. Sarah was listening to the co that conversation. Listen to this, Genesis 18. It says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with her. In other words, biologically, her, her clock had ticked out, is what the Scripture's saying. And so this is what the scripture said Sarah did. Sarah laughed. She heard this promise and she laughed to herself saying, I am worn out and I'm old. How am I going to have this pleasure? That was kind of her words. See, in, in Sarah's life, 25 years had passed since the promise had first been given and doubt had found a resting place in her heart. Moms, here's the deal for this and I hope you will find encouragement in motherhood, is an imperfect journey. It's just an imperfect journey. Sarah, Sarah doubted, she, she wondered, she struggled, but that did not stop. It didn't hinder God fulfilling his promises because God's promises will always be greater than your struggle with doubt. Always. He will, he will work even in the midst of that. So, moms, if you're praying prayers for children that may be wayward, don't give up. Even if you doubt that anything's going to change, God has a capacity to work beyond your ability, even in your doubt. Second mom that I want to give you to think about is Hannah. Hannah was a mom who struggled with deep anguish. Some of you battle anguish in some circumstance of your life. Now, the story of Hannah is similar to the story of Sarah, and both of them were battling infertility. They were both struggling with that. Um, Sarah's led her to doubt. Hannah's led her 
to deep anguish. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Hannah was deep in anguish. She was crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. This, this, this Hannah, we, we see this. Where, where we don't ever see Sarah praying and asking for a child, we see Hannah desperately pleading before the Lord for a child. God gave Sarah a child even in her doubt. But God gave Hannah a child in her belief. Now, in that day in Jewish culture, about the worst thing that could befall a a, a woman was the inability to bear a child. And Hannah felt that grief in an overwhelming way. But she did what she knew to do, and that was to just take it to the Lord in prayer. And so, friends, moms especially, one of the things that Hannah's life teaches me, and it teaches me about motherhood especially, is moms, you don't always have to have all the answers. You just need to know the one who does. And you need to go to him. You need to take your your concerns and your lack of good answers, you need to take them to the Lord. And Hannah, she modeled that. You may be praying for a child who's gone astray, and you may not have the answers to how they should come back, but you can make your prayer known to God. And, and Hannah, Hannah's a great model for moms, displaying a weeping heart before the Lord. The third and final mom that I want to give you real quickly is Jesus' mama Mary. Mary struggled to understand the circumstances around her. She just struggled to understand. And Scripture records this in Luke chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 51. It talks about Mary treasuring these things in her heart. We, we see this at Jesus' birth. We see this when Jesus is at the temple. But I believe that there were many, many more times when there were these kind of incredible moments where she takes these. And the Bible tells us she pondered them. She, she was dissecting them in her mind, trying to understand what is happening here. She knew the promise. She had been given a promise by the angel of the Lord. Now she's pondering, how are all these things, these circumstances, how are these going to work out and and lead to that? And I'm sure there were many, many more because the Bible doesn't record every moment that she had with Jesus. But one of the things that it does teach me and shows to moms, I believe, is that there are going to be things that happen in life, in your relationship with your kids, and you need to cherish those. You need to treasure them. You need to bring them in even when you don't understand them. And you need to ponder them and you need to think about them because one day God is going to put all those pieces of that puzzle together. And I believe on Resurrection Sunday I believe Mary saw the full picture. You know, she was at the feet of Jesus at his death and I imagine there are some thoughts that she was pondering in that moment. How is this going to happen? How is this going to come together? But then on the following Sunday, she saw her son raised from death. She saw him die. She was there. But she saw him raised to life. And Mary realized the pondering paid off. So mamas, don't give up pondering. Think deeply about the lives of your kids. Treasure and cherish those moments, even moments you don't understand, because God is going to do something, because that's who he is. God is your amazing father, moms, and he loves you, and he has chosen to partner with you in an incredibly unique way, and God wants you to know he honors you. He is grateful for you, and he has a special place 
for you in his kingdom and you're getting to live that out even in the midst of the brokenness all around us God brings life through his amazing grace even in those kind of moments and I want us to close this morning celebrating that celebrating that the God who gave us mamas gives us incredible life opportunity through his amazing grace and one of the ways that he has given us his great grace is through mothers so I'm going to pray, and our worship team's going to come, and we're going to close our service thanking God for his amazing grace. Pray with me. Father God, we come in this moment giving thanks to you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy and, oh, for your amazing grace. And we thank you for the, the way that you have graced us with our moms. Though imperfect, and some who may, God, have been so confused by the things of this world that they, God didn't partner with you to bless, but maybe were used by the enemy to curse. God, thank you that even in spite of that, you had a plan for their lives. And through them, you gave us life. Show us how to honor them. Show us that your grace is so amazing that even in the context of a life like that, we can live out, obediently live out your word that calls us to honor our moms. God, I thank you that you created moms, that motherhood was your great idea. And we just come in this moment to celebrate the amazing grace that you have given us through Jesus and the amazing role that you have given mothers to point us to him. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our moms. It's in your name we pray. Amen.